the final chapter of the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. I'd like someone to read this chapter in uh, the New Living Translation. Someone who hasn't read before recently, as we are family and we're partaking together, I'd like to give an opportunity for someone who hasn't read recently to read the Word of God. Sometimes it's the same brothers and sisters reading over again, praying. May we read it with reverence and uh, conviction. Someone please read Hebrews 13, who hasn't read recently, so we can hear the Word of God before we expound on it. Good morning, Father God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 up to 25. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, in them which suffer adversity, as being yourself also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, in the bed and the field, and the field. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not forfeited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is will please. Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. 
that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, Britain, suffer the word in exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in a few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that I have the rule over you. In all the saints, they of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God for the reading of His Word. Bless His holy name. So we've come to the concluding or the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. Thirteen chapters, and we've gone through twelve of them by God's grace. And the book of Hebrews, in a very broad outline, can be separated into, as with the other epistles, virtually all of them, I should say all the letters, the Lord gives us instruction in two parts in this letter. One is the explanation of who the Son of God is, that He's far superior to angels, to prophets, to priests. He is the High Priest. He is the Son of God, who is the image of the invisible God. And He is the prophetic voice that has been spoken to us from God as a final word, because it's written that God sent many prophets even yesterday in service, we heard from a prophet named Nahum. And uh, as I said, that book is between the book of Micah and Habakkuk, two other prophets. And so many prophets, about a dozen minor prophets that are highlighted in the Bible, and four major prophets, and many more that show up in the scriptures, and many, many more who are not even named and not recorded through the centuries. But in spite of the number of prophets that were the mouthpiece of the living God to speak to humanity, to speak to Israel, to speak to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to speak to us. It's written in the very beginning of Hebrews that God in these last days, last times, has spoken to us now by His Son. We finished reading in the previous chapter that at that time, when God spoke to Moses, he came down on Mount Sinai and the entire mountain was ablaze because God descended in fire. And the smoke was billowing more and more like an oven 
and they heard a trumpet blast that kept increasing in intensity, grew louder and louder. And the mountain, the entire solid mountain was shaking, so much so that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid. He was just held together by the grace of God to be able to even witness that, let alone hear God's voice and receive the commandments and then go down to the people. God has spoken to us by His Son in these last days. And again, in a broad outline, we can say the first ten chapters, virtually all of chapter ten, not quite, but from chapter one to chapter ten, He's speaking about the priesthood, the former rules and regulations God set up and he speaks about apostasy and encourages every believer to be on guard continually we hear hold fast don't let it slip take heed we look at an epistle like this we must note these words because God is speaking to us And with all the explanation that was mentioned just now, the argument and the development of the doctrine of Christ having to do with his nature, who he is and why he is, the ultimate faithful high priest and the one who suffered for us so much, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, he gives these first century Jewish believers great encouragement. The Holy Spirit does through the Apostle. Not to give up. Don't give up. Take a new grip on this way of life, on the truth. Let the hands that hang down be strengthened. The weak knees or the feeble knees or the lame feet be straightened out and make a straight path for yourselves. Listen to the doctrine. Listen to the truth about Jesus, about what he's done for you. And then, don't give up. So the second part of this broad outline, which is characteristic of other epistles as well, is from doctrine to practice after explaining what the truth is about who God is and what he's done for us and how we should be encouraged and respond to him. We see always moral instruction, always. Instruction about heeding the conscience that's now been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. To walk in love, to walk in purity, to walk by faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, in the midst of and amidst the doctrine to the practice, we have examples in that hall of faith in Hebrews 11. So as we come to this concluding chapter, we see further expounding on the instruction part, what we need to do.
how we should function, first of all, one-on-one with the living God to whom we've come, who's come to us first. Secondly, how we are to function among people, the behavior God expects. First, among the household of faith, but also with the world at large who doesn't know the Lord. Here, particularly in chapter 3, we see that he starts out saying, let brotherly love continue, which implies that it can stop. As we mentioned yesterday in the sermon, by the grace of God, we don't want a 90-foot statue that we have not separated ourselves from called SELF. Huge statue like Nebuchadnezzar erected in the plains of Dura during the time of Daniel in Babylon. Each one of us has the capacity to come and cry in God's presence. Be so happy, so thankful. And then go right back to inviting that idol and carrying the idol around, which causes us to be proud and bitter and envious, resentful, finding fault with others, thinking we're better than others, always thinking I'm the victim. These are the manifestations of that ugly, dangerous, demonic idol called S-E-L-F. And we understand self not to mean the individual or the individuality of every human being, which is sacred and precious. God made us unique, each one of us. But we mean that to define flesh. When we say F-L-E-S-H, the Greek sarx, we're not talking about the physical flesh, but we're talking about that old nature, that part of us that could be revived like an idol attached to us that we drag around everywhere. We want to crucify that, smash it, put it to death. Only then can I let this brotherly love continue. Otherwise I can become resentful, bitter, begin to fight and bicker. Is it not ugly? Imagine if you went to a church, you visited a church. You are not a Christian. And you want to go because you're attracted by the singing. You're attracted by people all gathered there on Sunday morning. Other people are playing golf. Other people are mowing the lawn. Others are doing some garden work. And other people are taking a stroll with the dog to get the Sunday paper. And here are a bunch of people all dressed up. And you see the cars in the parking lot. And you go inside to see what's all this about. You see everybody arguing, wrangling. Well, he stepped on my toes and I went to put the offering and he cut me off and stay in your seat and look at the preacher. He's angry at me. I don't like the way he looks. And the preacher looking at the people, getting angry. We want to get out of there in a hurry, thinking, what is this? It's a place of chaos and feuding and fighting. Now, imagine if someone came to your house. Maybe they just walked by your house and they hear a mother arguing with her son and son arguing with the mother and brother versus brother and brothers versus father and father versus mother and father versus the cat and the dog. And the whole tumble over there fighting. Wouldn't you think, shake your head and say, that's a messed up family. I don't want to go to that house. 
The Word of God becomes real to us only when it hits home. Only when we look at these words that God is recorded by the Holy Spirit and ask ourselves, is brotherly love continuing in me or am I carrying around that big idol called self? Imagine a family of four or five or six or seven or three or two. Each person has their teddy bear. Except this teddy bear is an ugly monster that goes to the roof and everybody has their own. And it seems they have houses designed just so that 90-foot idle self can extend itself through the roof and touch the sky. Everybody's comfortable. You got your idol, I got my idol, and we will fight because the self and the flesh is intact. How ugly. It's far easier for human beings to look at other human beings and other families and say, that is ugly, Pastor. Ugly. Especially if it's a Christian home. But how is it in your home? Which begs the question, first of all, how is it with you? Because before I'm called to give an account for the state of my family, God will call me to give an account for the state of my own heart. After all, the family is made up of individuals. Jesus said, hypocrites, why are you so busy looking at the speck in your brother's eye Jesus said I want to tell you something you have a big old log in your own eye ouch we don't like to hear those things all of a sudden everything becomes quiet in the church even when we read the word you know there are people as I mentioned I believe Thomas Jefferson one of the founding fathers of this nation and others all around the world they read the Bible and they take out a pair of scissors and cut out certain parts because they think it's not for me. And what they do is they take their part out of the book of life. They don't make it to heaven. Who dares cut out the word of God? But there are others who say, I will never touch the Bible and mishandle it, Pastor. I was with a fellow worker from India working in the city years ago and I had my New Testament. This man was a um, it's similar to Catholicism. It was from a traditional um, so-called Christian church in India, a certain movement. Very similar to Catholicism. Very religious, but he will act just like the world and everything, you know, but religious guy. Because one day I put my New Testament on the table and uh, as I was sharing the word with him and testimony, he noticed that I had some marking in the New Testament. And he said, you wrote in the New Testament, you underlined? He became highly offended. He said, no, 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 no. I mean, he totally missed the gospel. He was so religious. He held that book so sacred. The physical pages. That he said, you do not touch the Bible like that. You don't write in it. That's what you call a false religious spirit. The problem with that man was he wouldn't read the Bible, but he made sure nobody underlined it. Is that not the spirit of the devil? To prevent one from studying and memorizing and treating sacred the words of Scripture and what the Holy Spirit speaks to record it, to underline, to write in it. We're not defiling it. If we do it with the right heart, we're studying the Word of God, which is a commandment from God. But the religious hypocrisy is a false sense of sanctification 
merely with the externals that don't even matter, rituals and customs and forms, as we see in many dead places. God is not there. Maybe liturgy and different things going on, incense and all the entrapments of the creature's desire, man's desire to feel what? The presence of God in a self-manufactured, artificial, demonic way. God says, I want your heart. And Hebrews 13 says, home is where the heart is. What's going to appear before God one day is not our makeup. It's not our clothing. Not our jobs. Our credentials. Uh, the attachment to my husband or my wife or, you know, my husband, Lord, he's the CEO of the bank. That's who I am. I miss his president here of the bank. Or the husband coming. You know who I am, Lord? I'm the husband of this uh, famous singer. That's who I am. Well, the world values such things. There are a lot of oohs and ahs. So that's who you are. Wow. To God, it means nothing. Because what's going to appear before Him is our spirits. Whether we took every word of God to our hearts and let it be applied as I mentioned, there are people who literally take scissors and cut out parts of the Bible. And there are those who say, how dare you touch the Bible and do that? Much like that coworker. Not only don't mark it up, don't you dare cut anything. Well, it's true. The problem is we can be that religious and never read the scriptures or read it, you know how? Cutting it out from our lives in another form. We're just refusing to listen to it. I have witnessed people in church services, in meetings. It's very obvious because you look at their lives, not one thing stuck with them that was preached. They were there, present physically. There was a time when I had concentration problems. I didn't have any disorder, but my mind was just you know, full of imagination. And in junior high, I remember, I was preoccupied with other things and certain stresses. I was also still an asthmatic. And many times I missed school. But there were times when I sat there and the science teacher in junior high just praised and commended me to my parents on parent-teacher night. And he said, he's so well-behaved. I mean, he seems to look right at the board and look right at me when I'm teaching. But I wonder if he's able to retain anything because um, he's not able to reproduce what he learned. That was because of a lack of attention. It wasn't a, any syndrome or disorder at all by any means. But I chose not to at that time due to stresses and other things. But then when I concentrated, I was able to give back everything I heard. So it's possible to look directly at the Bible, at the preacher, and go away absolutely untouched. You know why? The bickering, the feuding, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the self-intact, the big statue. As I said, the person may be four feet tall, 
five feet tall, six feet tall, seven feet tall, still carry a 90 foot, 100 foot, 150 foot statue attached to them conveniently called the self. We can be so religious and say, I will kiss the Bible, put it high on a pedestal, I'll make sure it's all dusted, kept fresh, never open it. And there are those who open it and say, I do read the Bible, Pastor. But when God speaks, they slowly look around with their eyes, eyeballs turn left, eyeballs turn right. And they go into their pocket. Lo and behold, a nifty, convenient pair of Bible scissors. They have it specially reserved for that occasion. When the preacher says something I do not like, I do not receive it. And I begin to snip away. It's a very real, horrifying danger of hearing the counsel of God and ignoring any part of it and saying, I don't like it. It doesn't apply to me. I don't want it. When the Spirit of God is applying it to many people's hearts. I can be in a crowd of believers and literally be an outsider to the faith. Literally be a person who's either apostatized, meaning defected from the faith, sitting in the midst of a crowd of believers, actually a wolf, who takes everything very casually, comes into the presence of God casually. It's a joke. I'll do whatever I want. I'll come as I want. As I mentioned the other day, actually get inoculated against the truth. Vaccinated against the truth. So the truth no longer does any work in the heart. How dangerous. Being inoculated against the truth. It's a brief pause there. Stanley, if you can just note the time and delete that pause. This inoculation is deadly, spiritually speaking. The book of Hebrews warns us not to let our hearts get hardened. We can see it in a child. The difference in attitude. We can know when a child is cheerfully, respectfully obeying the parents. The parent is very quick to be able to recognize when the child's attitude has gone sour. Then we have to check ourselves and how our attitudes are as adults with the Word of God. I wonder how the morning message so far is sounding to you. For some, it'll be a portion of a lecture that must be uh, overlooked. Let's get to the meat of the Word. How can I ever get to the meat of the word as according to Hebrews chapter 6 if I don't get the elementary things which is come sincerely and say Lord every word is for me. God is looking at the heart. Didn't he say through the prophet Samuel man looks at the outside but God looks at the heart. And so chapter 13 in the New Living Translation says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. If that's the case with the Church of God, how much more in the family that I live with? 
That's why I say it's very ugly to be called a Christ follower, a Christian. And not feel any guilt that I've been mean to my son, mean to my husband, or mean to my wife, or mean to my mother, mean to my brother. Think nothing of, well, that's your problem. Me? I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to work or go to school and do what I have to do. I'm not here to be concerned about what you feel. It's an independent, proud, idolatrous spirit that worships self. That person will never make it to heaven, no matter how religious that person seems to be. Never. God will make sure they're cast out with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because they spat at the word of God when God said, let brotherly love continue. They refuse to forgive. They easily despise and put down people. Especially in the family. Especially to those who are really exposed to the truth. Jesus said, they'll know that you are my disciples. That you are Christians. When you have love one for another. Otherwise, what Jesus is saying is, don't call yourself a Christian. If you don't have genuine love and if you can't manifest that at home where you are. How is love manifested? By serving one another. How can I serve others unless I stop serving me? And so the balancing act of having the self intact that I still want to get what I want. And I'll give you the leftovers. That's not how it works. The Lord says put others ahead of you. Which means, not simply here, you want breakfast? Some children are like that. They go to their mother or father, they don't even address them by the name. Here, take this. That's yours. As if the mother or father is some stranger from the street. God expects us to show honor, especially to those that he commands us to show honor. There's some parents who despise the children and they begin to compare the children and set up problems where one becomes angry at the other because mom favors that one more. Especially a Christian parent. What have you learned from the Bible? What have we learned if we haven't learned how to love like Jesus showed us? doesn't matter what else we know. Without love, 1 Corinthians 13, I'm nothing. Without love, we cannot make it to heaven because the one who inhabits heaven is called love. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Somebody says, ah, yes, I feed the homeless. And I go and do this and that for strangers. But remember the order? First, love the household of faith. That's the order. First, show the affection and the due responsibility to people in the household of faith. There are some people who would like to save the world. Mothers, fathers, sons and daughters. They neglect their own house. God says, you've got it all wrong. I don't want that. He said, the one who doesn't know how to take care of his own house, his own family, is worse than an infidel. He's showing he has no faith, but he has some kind of show going on that he wants to be a hero. 
If we want to be a hero, we should be at home first. And to be a real hero in God's sight is to be a servant that doesn't want to be noticed, but wants to bring glory to God. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Once we fulfill our responsibility properly to people in the same body as I am, in the body of Christ, to make sure I'm edifying them, building them up, not tearing them apart. Then I can show hospitality to people on the outside. Abraham it's referred to here, certainly. Implied. God and two angels came to his tent door one day. He didn't know at first, then he found out. He was such a hospitable man. Some say, well, it's oriental custom, that is in the east, in the near east. Did you have strangers come, you invite them in, you don't know them at all. Let them wash their feet and get some food for them. But it's far beyond that. He showed hospitality when he didn't have to. He was, a clearly, he was clearly a man who loved God, who was a friend of God, who was being transformed. No more selfishness. And it wasn't to save face. There are certain cultures that are called shame-oriented cultures. Things are done in a perfunctory manner, that is to fulfill obligations. But the motive is all wrong, it was not really because of love. Is because if you don't do this, what will the neighbors think? What will your family think? It's more about image, that dreaded, foul image called self. Do I look good in front of you? Do I look good in front of the government? Do I look good in front of the neighborhood? Do I look good in front of the friends and family? That's what I'm living for. God says, smash that idol. You can't make it to heaven like that. God will not compete with this monster called self. But when I do it out of my heart, when nobody notices, and I don't have to do it, but I'm doing it because of love, that's acceptable to God. We can be religious and do things in a perfunctory manner. What is that? Do it in a manner just to fulfill obligation. To take care of the formalities. There's no heart behind it. There may be a smile. There may be uh, postures and gestures that show humility and a hospitable demeanor. But in the heart, we can be thinking, when will this person get out of my face? How long do I have to do this? Because people are watching, I have to make sure I conform to societal norms. God says, tear that mask off. Come to me and say, I'm sorry, Lord. So many things I do, even in the name of Christ, in the name of love, in the name of family. It's obligation. Some says, well, Pastor, that's not true in my life. I thank God because I really do love my son. I really do love my daughter. I really do love my spouse. And because of that, I sacrifice. But is it thoroughly motivated 
by this agape love, God's kind of love? Or is it still partial and there's room for improvement? That's the spirit in which we must come to the Word of God. When we read something like this, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. We don't gloss over and go to the next. Okay, next. We have to stop right there and say, Lord, do I really love like you love? Because that is the focus to follow Jesus Christ in the way he loved. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Is that not love? Not just to sympathize. but to empathize. Not just to feel sorry, but to actually say, I want to be understanding of what you're going through. The closer we get to Jesus Christ, there will be a mighty transformation. We begin to feel deeply burdened when our family member is going through some pain. Especially in the household of faith. And our prayers won't be just formality. For formality's sake. We will go and sit down and look at the mirror, take a hard look at how we look before God, which is the Bible. We'll begin to question ourselves and say, Is there still idol in my heart? Idols. Or do I really do things motivated by agape love? This uh, moral instruction in these concluding words of Hebrews 13 is fitting to show that all the doctrine we've heard, all the description of the superiority of the Son of God, all the description of what God has done for us what he requires of us with instruction to show us how to behave. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. In the book of Corinthians it says such were some of you. And even believers who have done those things worthy of hell if they allow the Spirit of God to work in their hearts, to strike terror in their hearts, to the point of genuine repentance, God will forgive. But to presume upon God's grace and think that I have another day, the person may not make it to the next day. So the warning is, repent now. There are people who say, you know what, sin is starting to look uh, awfully attractive to me again, Pastor. You have the audacity to say that? Instead of weeping? Fasting? Going before God because your pastor is not the one who's going to judge your fate eternally. It's the Lord who loved you and bore the nails for you. You have the audacity to say sin is looking attractive again and joking about it or coming and saying this and that. Have you gone and fallen before God on your face saying what a wicked heart I have to think that sin is attractive again. Egypt is calling me. 
That's like saying to God, God, I have a gun that I like to shoot at you with. And it's starting to look very shiny to me. And it's calling me God. It's a Judas kiss. Saying I love you God and worship you God here and there. And meanwhile, have the knife and the gun prepared to shoot God and stab God. It's a Judas kiss. God says, don't even go to work. Don't do anything. Fall before me on your face. Beg for forgiveness because what you're thinking is blasphemous and satanic. But if one comes and says, Lord, I have a big problem. I'm all messed up. I'm not looking to smile and save face before any man, any woman. I'm in big trouble with you, Lord, because my heart is not guarded. Something's wrong. I have a serious disease because the world is attracted to me. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Help me to love you, Lord, with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, oh God, and weep in his presence, and God will change you. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. can be a very subtle thing sometimes where we look at the paycheck, we look at the hourly rate, then we start looking at the neighbors. What does he have on his check and her check? How can I get that? I want to be like Mike. No offense to anyone named Mike. The point is like the commercial. Wanting to imitate others. Not so much for spiritual virtues as much as for material gain. Be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I'm your supplier. I will never abandon you. Keep your eyes on me. Don't live for money. The bottom line, the dollar. And some blasphemously say the almighty dollar. Wicked, satanic people. They believe it. It's not simply uh, an assessment of how people live covetously. But they actually worship the money. Somebody says, but pastor, I don't make a shrine in my bedroom where nobody can see and I have dollar bills all over the wall and I worship that image of Lincoln there, the image of Washington and Benjamin Franklin, the hundred dollar bills. and I don't have incense going up to the bills and worshiping the green. It doesn't have to be such an external ritualistic manifestation. It's a matter of the heart. If I'm worried about finances to the point where I can't give my all to God, my attention, my loyalty, and have this peace, something's wrong. All of us have concerns. But when worry comes knocking at our door, which bends us all out of shape, bends us all out of shape, we need to know something's wrong with my heart. I'm not trusting God, I'm trusting in me. I'm saying I trust God, but I believe in me more than God because if I don't go to work, everything's over. Think about that statement. We're not talking about laziness or people who are negligent of their responsibility. We're talking about people who place such an emphasis on their own actions as if they're providing for themselves when really it's God who gives everything. As we heard yesterday following the offering. It's God who provides seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Nobody can say, I went and I put food on your table or my table. No, it's the gracious God because no matter what job somebody has, somebody can have a job where they can make $100,000 easily. 
But if they can't get out of bed, they're not going to make even a cent of that. Somebody could be able-bodied and can't get work. Who gives us the job and who gives us the ability to breathe, first of all, to get up in the morning, let alone make it to work? Who gives the vehicle? Who gives whatever we need to get it done? All of God. All from God. Worship God and not money. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. God spoke to me on this years ago. Because I was the type that I would continually plan and think. And planning is good. That is, having goals. But I was so much into future planning that I couldn't enjoy and be content with what God gave me now. That's the big problem. The Lord spoke to me, convicted me on that. What a freedom I got. To really be so thankful to God for everything I do have. And when I survey what God has given me, I was able to see just how rich I was in every way because of the grace of God. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Remember, it's written, godly contentment. Godliness, I should say, with contentment is great gain. If we want to be rich, first of all, be godly, be godlike, be devoted to God. Obey the word of Jesus Christ. Every word, every word, every word. Be diligent in studying the scripture and saying, Lord, did I do this? Did I do that? Help me, Lord. I want to do this. And then do it. Be godly. And be satisfied. You're extremely rich. You're the richest person in the world. If you're godly and you are grateful, content with what God has given you. Because he's given us so much as I was showing Joseph where my inflammation was or whatever tear, the cartilage around the ribs, showing him the 12 pairs, I believe, of ribs that we have, how graciously God has given us. And you know what? We don't even know it's there a lot of times or have the consciousness until one of them break or some tear is there. Then we begin to really value. I wish I had the fourth rib intact. My pinky got jammed. Or my tooth or my eyes. One of the eyes are becoming dim. I have to go have it checked out. And then we see people with perfect eyes. We can begin to say, wow, I wish I had those eyes. And this one's health and that one's wealth. Never realizing all that God our Father has done for us. He's been so faithful. Be content. Don't let the enemy keep causing you to look at the Joneses, as it were, all the time comparing, jealous, or becoming com- grumbler, a grumbler and a complainer. I have to pay this, I have to pay that, I don't have this, I don't have that. One of the reasons the millions of people, the children of Israel, died and their bodies were scattered over the wilderness because they grumbled against God. Never satisfied, never thankful. Always worried, always anxious, and always looking at what others have and complaining to God. You didn't do this for me, God. Ungrateful, just like Lucifer, Satan. God says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. 
So, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? No matter what man says, we need to go to God and look to God to help us. We've been in many situations where nobody could help humanly. God came through. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so have you, I'm sure. Imagine if we can go through a whole day humble and reverent and loving, just like we're taught by the Holy Spirit in the Word today, in Hebrews 13. Smashing that idol called self. Stop thinking about me and I'm a victim and I'm this and I'm that. Keep bemoaning and crying. That's a self-centered religion. That's not Christianity. But rather thinking about how I can help others beginning with my family. How, can, how I can make them comfortable. How I can help them emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually. How I can make the atmosphere such that every member of the family can be able to pray and worship and read without distraction and nagging. That's a real Christian. Faith begins at home. And then, it talks about the church. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. When somebody says, I don't like to talk about this preacher and that preacher and follow this night, I follow Jesus Christ. We've seen quite a number of times in the epistles. And Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Timothy, you all have seen the way I live, how I work with my hands and what I do with my time, my talent and treasure. In effect, that's what he was saying. And those with me. You see how we live? You see how we speak? You see what our heart's motivation is? All of you people, follow us as we follow Christ. And right here we have it again. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from them. Not nitpick and say, well, I don't think that's right. And he said this and she looks like that. And Don't let the devil rob you of the blessing when God's given you that which is good to follow. Think of all the good that has come from their lives. And don't just admire or say nice things. And I thank God in prayer. God said, you get to work. Do the same thing that they're doing. Whatever good you see, follow that. Make it a part of your life. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, do not be attracted by strange new ideas. So, do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. So one of the verses that we can show clearly against the cultic practice that we find in the pseudo-Christian cults, false Christianity, not only Catholicism under that heading, pseudo-Christian, false, with regulations and rules and things to try to keep people under some kind of legalistic system. So we find that in Seventh-day Adventism and other pseudo-Christian cults. What is it? Enforce this, you know, no meat on Friday during Lent, or no fish. People are going to hell while fasting on Friday from fish. How? No relationship with Jesus Christ. No surrender at the cross. No surrender of the self. 
No seeking after personal holiness. No seeking after telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. No desire that family should get born again. No understanding of born again. Jesus said, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3. But, religious system. I have the priest, I have this, I have those dues I have to pay, and I have to make the catechism, I have to do this, I have to do... Much ado about nothing, as Shakespeare said. It's the truth. It's not to put down Catholicism, not to put down Seventh-day Adventism, or Jehovah's Witness, or Mormonism, or Christian science, whatever other factions there are that are pseudo. A form of religiosity, a form of godliness, but denying the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be careful. The devil can transform himself as an angel of light. Look almost like the real thing. Or just like the real thing. A chameleon that can easily adjust itself. As I mentioned years ago, perhaps before, I was driving in the Bronx and I saw a vacation Bible study or some seminar outside a Catholic church and I saw a huge banner. Come learn about the Holy Spirit. And very similar things to mainstream Christianity. I thought that's very interesting. So you're not going to leave the idolatry. You're not going to leave the allegiance to the Pope. You're not going to leave the allegiance to man's rules. You're not going to leave that false understanding that the church interprets the Bible, not the other way around. You're not going to believe that faith is what justifies me by grace, that I have to go spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus everywhere, that I need to work hard at smashing the idol called Mary, that so many people highly revere and think that she's the mother of God and she's a mediator between me and Jesus Christ. Absolute blasphemy. There's one mediator between God and us, Jesus Christ, Paul told Timothy through the Holy Spirit. Instead of looking at all the things that are blasphemous, contrary to the Word of God, keeping all that intact and then putting a banner, come learn about the Holy Spirit. What Holy Spirit is that? And so Seventh-day Adventism, branches of it, say that you can't eat meat, be a vegetarian. As if that's going to make me holy. Don't be attracted by strange new ideas. Stick to the Word of God. Read the Word of God. As I mentioned, Martin Luther, the Reformation time, had to stand single-handedly against 12 centuries of the Pope. What did they do? They literally chained the Bible to the pulpit and they put people to death if they dare touch the Bible, let alone try to read it and interpret it. What spirit is that? That's not the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when the Spirit of God comes, the Holy Spirit comes, the Comforter, He will teach you all things I told you. But they kept the people, the masses in the dark. Meanwhile, have candles and incense and priesthood and all this formality and processions. God has a word for such people who keep people in the dark and don't give them the word of God. But have a form of religion, form of godliness. Now, somebody says, well, we don't do that. Today in the Catholic Church, in the cultic places, the different places, well, we have the word of God. We do this and that. Remember the term chameleon, adjusting itself to continue the act of deception. So God exposes this uh, false religiosity 
with rules about such things as food and whatever rituals. Jesus said, you are nullifying the word of God, absolutely canceling the whole intent of what I spoke to you by your vain traditions. A whole bunch of things going on there in my name. I have nothing to do with it. In effect, you're working for the devil. Because every time I'm trying to sanctify somebody, I'm trying to save somebody, you're luring them into this religiosity, religious spirit, where they feel like I made my confirmation, I did this, I got the blessing from the priest. I could. Meanwhile, that priest is an unholy man because he is holding the truth in unrighteousness. Those people who study the Bible and still keep people in the dark, they'll have a greater judgment. They're very unclean. No matter what they wear and how they look and how they talk and their homily and their oratory or oratorical skills. The Lord had a word for those religious people of his day who were leading the people, who knew the law. Priests, Pharisees. He said, you look so good on the outside. You're rotten to the core on the inside. You snakes, you hypocrites. You run compassing land and sea to make one proselyte, one convert. And once you get somebody, you make that person a twofold son of hell than you are. That's what Jesus said. But, but pastor, they're preaching the word of God. They have the cross. They kiss the cross. They kiss the Bible. And they help the poor. The heathen do all of that. You can train them to kiss the cross. But you cannot train a heathen to open the Bible and surrender to the Word and the Lord of the cross. It happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. And man has the capacity through his vain religious religiosity, just like in the Tower of Babel, and all the false worship that Cain and his legacy cling to to this day. People headed for hell. Man has a way of having his own version of Christianity. We come to the Word of God we see under the old system. Things happen in Judaism. God came along and said it's all over. It all pointed to Jesus Christ. He's here now. So stop this priesthood business. Stop this tradition. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Heavenly altar. Before that it says, do not be attracted by strange new ideas, as we read. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of the animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. There were people that we knew who were very loyal to the Hindu faith, quote-unquote. They heard about Jesus, and some even got born again genuinely. But they kept the idols in the home. How do they expect to go to heaven? If they honor idols and are afraid of man keeping the devil stuff in the home. Somebody says, how do they get born again, first of all? God's mercy. They really said, Lord, I'm only going to follow you. But then they 
didn't get rid of the stuff. You see, God gives time. A person may be afraid like Gideon. God gives a commandment. But then the one who ends up doing it, as the Lord told in the parable, is the one that obeys. One brother said, I'm not going when the father says, go do this. Afterward, he repented and went. The other brother said, oh, yes, mommy, yes, daddy, I'm going to do it. Never did it. Jesus had a simple question. Which one did the will of the Father? It's not about what we say, it's about what we do. Let us love in deed and truth, says in the Epistle of John, not just in word only. Follow through with what you told God you'll do. Follow through with what He commanded you to do. There are people that are seeking all the time for something sensational in the name of revival. They have no roots, no discernment, and no obedience to the leaders. And so they go and they get hurt and they come back. Some go and they get so deceived, they become leaders in that false movement. We need to be careful that we keep humble and be teachable, not be proud and argumentative when it comes to the Word of God. We have an altar from which the priest in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of what? Some edict that he wrote out, some law and regulation. He sent a couple of his servants, some angels, to suffer, having to go to work and be just like men. No, he died himself. He gave his blood. As I was mentioning about the Hindu friends, because of the fear of man, and God was saying the clock is ticking. I'm going to call you to account for this. I've given you time to muster up courage and cling to the word of God. Not unlike what he was telling the Hebrew Christians. Don't go back to that ritualistic stuff. If God has caused you to become born again, if you're really born again, don't go back to where God took you out of. Otherwise, you become an adulterer spiritually. God will say, you're playing a double game. On that day when judgment comes, no matter what you did in the born again church, I'm going to cut you off. You'll be a goat exposed for all to see. Because you were sneaky. You were told, don't go back. And you kept going back. Whatever religion we came out of, whatever pseudo-false Christian system God brought us out of, some people, no matter how many healings they get, how many deliverances from the true place where God has put them, from the true servants of God, they'll have a satanic loyalty and sympathy toward the false system. Continue. Continue to go there and take people there. Literally killing people's souls and deceiving them themselves. What will happen to such people? God will say, I never knew you. God says, either you're with me or you're against me. There's no neutrality, a double standard. And so these Hindu people, thankfully, the ones we know, it took some time. Not because God was willing that it should take some time. They made a decision that they're going to fear man and 
look good in the eyes of others, and I don't want to offend my friend. So what am I going to do? Act like I'm sympathetic to the Hindu system. Have the idols. This goes for anything. person who becomes a Christian who is a former Buddhist, or ancestor worship, still having the shrines and all these things, the pictures. God says, get rid of it, smash it. That's what he told Gideon. The entire land of Israel was steeped in apostasy and idolatry, including Gideon's own father. Can you imagine they had an altar to Baal? Baal. God comes and tells Gideon, mighty man, Gideon says, who? Little me? Who's mighty? The Lord spoke, I'm transforming you. Are you ready? Yes. But I need some signs from you. Okay? God did it. Okay, I'm ready. What am I going to do now? Go and smash your father's idols. That meant death. He knew it. He was afraid. He couldn't do it in the daytime. He did it at night, but he did it. In the morning they said, who did it? Okay, this man's son called Gideon. Bring him out. We're going to kill him. God took care of everything. He made his father speak on his behalf and said, Look, if Baal's God, let him defend himself. God caused his father to turn it on the people who came to kill Gideon. Gideon became a mighty leader. Do you have the courage to smash all your idols? There are people who take idols such as the Hindu religion and they throw it in the garbage and smash it. The devil says, don't do that. It's bad luck. Don't do that. It's going to hurt you and your generation. The devil says, don't you disobey me. I'll curse you. The Spirit of God says, he can't do anything when you obey my voice. I'll not only protect you, I'll cause you to step on his head. Question. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own power, when we're loyal to God. If some people were Catholic who had idols, one day they threw it in the garbage. What a liberation. What an, not just psychologically, but in the spiritual realm, God sees that and He begins to open the door for more blessings. But then, if I get rid of these things in my home, as I mentioned the other day, if I say, the world is not going to come into my home, liquor is not coming into my home, cigarettes and drugs, but if I go to the places where those things are practiced and feel comfortable, am I not a hypocrite? In other words, if I throw out the Hindu idols, but I go to the Hindu temple, am I not a snake? If I throw out the idols and go back to the Catholic Church, am I not a hypocrite? I might as well have the idols all over and say, I'm born again and I'm a Catholic. Really, that's akin to saying, I'm born again and I'm a full-fledged Hindu. Light and darkness don't mix. God has clearly shown over and over again why one place is dark and why the other place is light. God says, make your choice. That's why the repeated exhortation and warning of scripture is either you're in or you're out. There's no middle ground. There's not, no such thing as skirting on the periphery and saying, well, I have one foot 
on this side of North Korea, one foot in South Korea. I'm a Korean. And I have the best of both worlds. We think that's ridiculous to even think that, let alone do it. How many Christians are friendly with the false things in the world? Very sympathetic, very friendly. I don't want to offend you. Who's going to stand up like Gideon and say, wait a minute. God commanded me to do something. I'm going to smash these things. Why? Because they keep us in the dark, away from the truth. Somebody says, Pastor, you're going to offend a lot of people when you say that. If this ever gets on the radio, you're going to get hate mail and people are going to say, you, no good, uh, ignoramus, you don't even know what you're talking about. I'll tell you something. They call the one who was crucified outside the camp, who shed his blood for my soul and for the world, they called him Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. They said, you have an unclean spirit, you're a devil. Imagine calling God a devil. Jesus said, so don't be surprised if they call you something like that or hate you. When you're standing for me, be ready to give your life for the truth. Are we going to come up out of our shells, behind our religious exterior? Are we going to shed the camouflage and say, I don't mix with the world or false religious systems? Can you say today I'm making a clean break with everything that is false in my life, every idol, beginning with that S-E-L-F. I want to follow God all the way. If I don't tell the truth, I'll be a very respectful, or I should say respectable, popular pastor. But I'll go to hell with the people I preach to. Jesus got into a lot of trouble. His disciples said, Lord, you're going back to Jerusalem? They tried to kill you, please. There's got to be another way. Paul, you're going to Jerusalem? They sought to kill you. Please, don't do that. You can do this Christian thing and preaching in a uh, wiser way, in a more pleasant way. You can save your skin. Get behind me, Satan. You don't care about the things of God. You're looking to protect man and save your own reputation. Ah, so the idol of self is very much intact and follows me wherever I go. You have to turn around and smash it. Live for me. Stand up for the truth. Jesus, because he spoke the truth in places that we read, such as in John chapter 10, 8 to 10, there was a direct head-on confrontation. How many of us would like to follow our Lord all the way to the cross and then get the glory, the crown of glory? We need to be bold and speak the truth in love, but speak the truth and stand for the truth so no one looks at us and thinks, well, he's this or that. He's a Christian, but he's also uh, very nationalistic, has a lot of pride in the country. He believes in soccer. He believes in the Democrats or the Republicans or the Independents. Got a lot of conviction. Got a good head, head on his shoulders. And he also dabbles in idolatry. How? 
still sympathetic, still thinking that God is not going to mind. For every action we take and every secret thought and secret work, God will bring all of that to the light one day and he'll point it out and say, you're a hypocrite. But we have the opportunity to say, I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry. I make a clean break today with everything that is idolatrous in my life. Verse 12, So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him. How? Secretly? No, not like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, but publicly like Paul. This is who I am. This is where I stand on the word of God. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. What? My Catholic friends won't like me because they're going to think I'm anti-Catholic now. My Hindu friends won't like me because they're going to think I'm anti-Hindu. My Seventh-day Adventist friend are not going to like me because they're going to think that I'm calling them something other than born again, according to the gospel. My friends, my family are not going to like me because I stopped preaching the democratic philosophy or the Republicans' agenda. God said, you stand for Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. This is why Paul the Apostle, though he was so brilliant, and though he was a leader, the ultimate leader in the Pharisaical sect, he said, when I come to you preaching, not only did, did he say, I come to you in weakness and trembling, much trembling. He said, I know the presence of God. It's not a show. It's not a show of my preaching skills. Standing in the presence of God and representing him. Paul trembled. Not out of fear of judgment, that he's going to go to hell if he makes a wrong move. He was walking with God. But he had that deep fear of God because of God's holiness and awesomeness. He also said this, relevant to what we're studying today. He said, I am determined not to know anything among you other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So don't talk about religion. Don't talk about various things in the Bible, facts and figures and tied in with civilization, historical thing, even archaeology, unless it all points to one thing, to tell the person you're speaking to, if you love your family, you have a family member or family members who are not born again, you know it. They may think they're born again, but they don't follow Jesus. They don't care about the Word of God. It's more like another pastime. May your life and your preaching be Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. He saved me from my sins with his blood, period. And for you, my friend, my spouse, my family member, if you don't have the blood of Jesus Christ washing your heart clean from your sins, if you don't go to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. All my life, I've lived in rebellion against you. 
I could care less about your word. I don't even read it, much less obey it. I'm so sorry. Will you invite me into your family? Will you make me part of your family? Will you forgive me of all my sins, Lord? All of my lies and deception and hatred, self-seeking, self-defense. Please forgive me. To tell the other person, if you come to Jesus like that and believe that he died on the cross for you, according to Romans 10, 9, 10, you shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's how you get born again. You'll be saved. And you explain to them, so simple, in a few minutes. Romans 10, 10. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. Believing what? That he died on the cross. God raised him from the dead. To that one individual, no Mary, no Krishna, no nobody. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It is by confessing with your mouth, right to God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That's it. You're saved. Not just a mere confession with the mouth, but in my heart of hearts, the Lord died for me. This one, Son of God, died for me. To speak that truth and say nothing else. When somebody brings in the Pope or Mary or Hindu stuff or Buddhist stuff or atheistic stuff, to say no, 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 no. That's not how you get born again. And all of a sudden you see anger and what? Much like Paul went to the Jews. He went to his own people in the temple. They wanted to stone him. The Lord says, are you a coward or are you going to be a Christian? He went out and he bore the disgrace that Jesus bore. But you see, in the sight of God, he was honored and the glory of God came upon him. We need to make a decision. Whether we're going to really follow Jesus or have Jesus as a convenient, cheap insurance policy. Well, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, and I'll go to him when I need healing and this and that. But I will betray him by going to places that I know that I was warned not to go to, in the name of religion, and taking people there. God have mercy. For some people, it's just re- redirecting people in the conversation. To give a uh, notion and uh, comfort that it's okay if you have your idols. You can follow Jesus too. Those are imposters. But the true people, like Jesus, Jesus spoke himself. As Paul the Apostle will say, you need to get born again. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. He's the one who died on the cross for his sins. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, no one. Jesus Christ. To say, Lord, no matter what they do to me, their families where a husband has said, if you keep this up, I'm going to divorce you. You're going to be all alone with the kids. Nobody to help you. Don't tell me that Jesus is Lord. Close your mouth. I want you to come and bow down to these idols. The wife says, 
I love you with all my heart, but I can't deny the Lord who saved me from my sins. And they get abandoned, but you know what? God comes and takes care of them. How many times we've heard that? God is faithful. And how many of us are afraid just to say something because they'll be offended. They're going to think I'm not their friend. You really want to be such a friend of the world and a friend of people who don't even know the Lord, really? And care about offending them more than offending God? May the Lord help us to be faithful to Him, not unfaithful. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward for a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God. Proclaiming our allegiance to His name. See, God demands loyalty. This morning, by the Holy Spirit, it's been clearly detailed or delineated how this plays out in our lives. Whether we're really loyal to God or we're playing games with God and arguing and secretly doing things and seeking image and friendship with the world. and God says, you love any human being more than me. You're a traitor to me. That's what God says. He that loves father or mother, brother, sister, wife, whoever, more than me is not worthy of me. How does that play out? When I'm afraid of offending people and really want their friendship, once God has told me the truth, go and tell them, Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. All of that other stuff is false, it's idolatry. Leave that pseudo-false Christian notion that you have. You can't be in two places at once. Oh, you offended me. You know where we come from and I thought you were my friend. I'm probably the best friend you'll ever have. That's why I'm telling you the truth. How to save your soul. So that you're ready to go to the permanent place where God dwells. God will hold everyone accountable for the message they've heard today. Stand up for the Lord. Be careful of mingling and becoming a chameleon and adjusting yourself to save face or look good or win friends or keep friends. The Lord says, you love any person more than me. And if you're not loyal to the truth, if you love yourself to save your skin, He says, you're not worthy of me. Whoever comes to me and does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. What an honor to stand up for truth and do the right thing. Let us, therefore, offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise. Now, it's very, very wonderful and interesting that after mentioning the sacrificial system, as in the book of Peter, he said, spiritual sacrifices here, it says, a continual sacrifice. What? Incense? Candle burning? No. God says, it doesn't impress me. That's not what I asked for. But from your heart, an obedient heart to the truth, offer praises to God. That's the sacrifice I'm looking for. Proclaiming our allegiance to His name, loyalty, faithfulness. I'm reading from the 
life uh, application. Well, it's a version I have, but the New Living Translation. This very verse, Hebrews 13:15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now, some people help friends. They give money. They'll even let people rob them. And out of fear, give money. But when it comes to God, the 10% of the total income becomes a tremendous ordeal. If a person makes $500 a week, God says the minimum I expect is $50. Not for the church or for some pastors. It's to God to give that for the extension of His kingdom as an offering, as a tithe, first of all, I should say. Offerings on top of that. To say, God, you're the one who provided for me. To be a penny pincher when it comes to God, what an ugly thing. The very one who gave us breath in life. When he says, I'm giving you the privilege of bringing a tenth for you to acknowledge me and to honor me. And I'll bless you even more. $500 a week. What goes in the offering? Oh, I gave God $5. I gave God $5. Five whole dollars. 500 pennies I gave God. I know he's happy. Are you happy, God? <coughs> Just unmute. Uh, I should say, Stanley, if you can mute the lines. Check your lines, please, and keep it muted. 500 pennies to God. 90% God says, you can... Keep it. Give me the 10%. Oh, but I help so-and-so, so-and-so. You know what? Those people are your gods. You can't even give to God what's due to Him. The minimum. The bare minimum. It's amazing. In the course of teaching the Word of God, it takes a while for some people to really have that understanding God is gracious. He teaches us. But the extent to which we love money and love to do things our own way is revealed by the amount of time and the frequency of the truth that is given before we make a decision that I've got to do things differently because God is speaking. Shall we have a tender conscience to God and say, Lord, anytime you speak, help me, Lord, to understand and implement it immediately. That's how I show that you're really my God. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Notice the order. God first, give the tithe and give it cheerfully, not grudgingly. Then the offering, things that God wants you to do to extend his kingdom. And to the household of faith, the brothers and sisters who are in need, not be selfish, say, this is my stuff and I take care of my family, one family in Christ. Did you ever consider what others need? And are you led by the Spirit? Not just to be a hero. Throw around some money or some things so that you can look good and feel good. 
Now, to have a willing heart and say, Lord, who do you want me to help and how do you want me to do it, Lord? And let me take the counsel that comes from you. Third, to help the people on the outside. Everything is warped upside down. When a person runs out to help people out there in the street or do other things and forget to give the bare minimum tithe to God and then consider what the household of faith needs. God has a certain order. He is a God of order, not chaos and confusion. He seeks our good, not our destruction. Verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account to give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I'd like somebody to unmute now who's been hearing all this. Can somebody please tell us in your understanding so far, coming to verse 17, what do you suppose would give pastors or leaders who are following God grief from the people who listened to the instruction? Somebody please just unmute and share. What would give them grief? Is God pastor? Uh, is it to ask the pastor for advice but not then following through, disobeying it? Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. It's what the Lord shows. To hear the teaching and refuse to do it. To hear and even ask for the counsel. Tell me, Pastor, I will do, Pastor. I will do exactly as you say. And not follow through or do it partially. Saul was such a character. He said, I did what you said, Samuel. I obeyed the Lord, your God. Samuel said, you liar. Basically, that's what he's saying. What is this bleeding of the sheep? I hear sheep over there. You're supposed to destroy everything. God gave you a commandment to destroy the Amalekites. What are you doing? Oh no, Pastor Samuel. I did this, I did that, I did everything. I'm, you know I love God and I love you. Here. Here's a candy cane for you. I love you. How can we deceive God? Isn't that the height of folly? When the Holy Spirit speaks to think that we can cut corners or do things halfway and then come like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 and say, I did it all. Lying to the Holy Spirit. When God has leaders who are after His own heart and He speaks, we need to be of such a tender heart and love God because that's what it comes down to. If God is speaking... I'm not concerned so much with the vessel. It's the Holy Spirit telling me to do something and He'll hold me accountable. And because the vessel or the servant of God is the instrument, they're also given responsibility to come to God and say, these are the people who are under the teaching here who you brought, Lord. And this is where this one's at and that's where that one's at, Lord. And I'm praying for this one and that one. And Lord, I've given you a whole instruction. This one, Lord, makes her heart so happy. Because the moment he or she hears the truth, they get on it immediately begin to make changes. They don't look for anything else. They're not concerned with... They're not concerned with 
offending people or saving face. They just do what they're told. You do it joyfully. And then the pastor, the leader, has great grief and says, Father, we've given the whole counsel to this person, but they, refu- they simply refuse to obey. Or they think they're fooling us and fooling you. And they're trying to come like Saul and saying, I did it all. They're setting themselves up for a great fall. That gives great grief to a true servant of God to see people disobey God's word. But, again, the great joy comes when somebody's obeying the counsel of God. You know why? Because they're doing good to themselves. What parent is it that's going to be not overjoyed when he or she sees the child eat all the veggies? All the vegetables on the plate. Everything mommy gives. Eat everything that's healthy. Talking about a good mother. Not a mother who gives popcorn and soda. And then goes on Facebook and goes for the hair salon. Well, my child is growing. He's taller than he was last year, so he must be eating something good. I'm doing something right. Meanwhile, disease all over inside. Liver, kidney, everything messed up. Become an addict to sugar. No, a good mother that says, this vegetable has vitamin A, this has vitamin D, and Junior, you need to eat this too, because this will build your muscles. Good boy, good girl, eat everything on the plate. Not say, Mommy, you're the best. I can't wait to dig in. I got my napkin, my fork, I got my table manners. And then I'm going to dig in. Mommy said, you're such a good son. Mommy turns the back. Junior conveniently takes the plate, dumps it in the garbage, and then brings the plate and said, Mmm, I love it, Mommy. Now that I ate, can I get the treat? What parent would not be grieved to find a deceptive child? Because after all, the child is hurting himself. But the parent that knows the child is sincere and really did what he or she was told. What a joy. A wise son makes glad the heart of the father, but a foolish son is heaviness to the mother, sorrow. What kind of son or daughter are you to your heavenly father? Do you take the whole plate and eat everything is given? Or do you take some of it and say, I'm going to put this in the garbage? No profit to me. Or chew on it with a mean face. Very upset. And you know what? Indigestion. Never gets in. I I did it. I took it. Not feel good about it. All wrong. But a humble heart, submissive heart, and say, because mommy and daddy love me, they're giving me this. I'm going to make use of it because it's going to make me stronger. It's going to make me good. 
that's profitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things to desire or desiring to live honorably. See the writer, the apostle saying, our conscience is clear. We're telling you exactly what God wants to tell you. We did our part. We love God. We're following Him. Now, I want you to do the same thing. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. To him that has, more will be given. To the one who doesn't have, even that which he seems to have will be taken away. That's a warning from Scripture, from God. Whatever God's given, let's make sure we do it and do it properly, fully, thoroughly. Then God will give us more blessing. But if we don't, we think we're gods. We have that self-intact, people-pleasing, self-pleasing. Even what I seem to have, one day will be taken away. We've seen a very drastic example of that in our own midst. All that was given is taken away. Like the apostates in Peter in the book of Jude, what's reserved is blackness, darkness, death. So, in the book of Hebrews, five major warnings at least. Very dreadful warnings too. To who? Believers. Don't play games with God. When he tells you to do something, follow through, or you hurt yourself, you destroy yourself. You can't hide anything from God. And then the encouragement, don't give up. God loves you. Those who are sincere, keep going. Don't give up. God is for you. He's with you. Look at these people in Hebrews 11. They faced all kinds of persecution. Now, you follow that example. And when you're together, when you're not together, continue to love one another. Pray for one another. Seek not only your own things, but that which belong to others. Not covetousness, but seek their welfare. That they should advance and be blessed. Now, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So God's desire is that though the chastening may seem to be hard, though the word may seem to be sharp, it's all for my good. And so I'm going to change my attitude and say, Lord, I humble myself. I receive it, Lord. I will follow through. Because God's objective is to make you complete or perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation. For I've written to you in a few words. It's not a lengthy sermon, a lengthy epistle, where it's 500 pages. So take it. It's not hard and it's not long. Just do it. In the New Living Translation, it says, I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to pay attention to what I've written in this brief exhortation. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. 
If he comes here soon, I will bring him with me to see you. Very personal and very loving. But no mincing of words with the truth of God. To bless and protect and to mature the people. Greet all your leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send you their greetings. May God's grace be with you all. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray that each one of us, Lord, would look at ourselves, not at our neighbor first, but ourselves to see if there's any log in our eyes, if there's any hypocrisy, anything, Lord, that we need to change. Lord, if we can love more, to pursue that, Lord. To have the order to love you first, to give you our all, then to love the people in the church, in the body of Christ, to edify them, to follow the counsel of the leaders from the Spirit of God, and then to reach out to the world. To have that divine order that you set up, Lord, for the safeguarding of our own souls, for our blessing for us, our families, our church, and for others. To be holy people, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. To have a clear separation from the world, from sin. To be loyal to you, Lord. To have your fear upon us, Lord. To be faithful to you. To preach the truth and love. To bear your disgrace, Lord, no matter what it takes. To live the truth. And tell the truth to everybody. Because you've charged us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And the way we can demonstrate that is by telling them about what you did on the cross so they can go to heaven and not hell. Thank you, Father, for all your mercy. I pray for healing. Lord, even as my chest and my ribs are hurting, clutching it, but your mercy is great, Lord. You've given grace. Even with the breath that is giving pain, you give grace speak the word. And I thank you for giving grace to my brothers and sisters who are going through pain, physical pain, Lord, but they're on the call because they love you. They want to hear your word. My brothers and sisters, Lord, who you love, for who you put love in my heart, Lord, for each other, who are going through emotional pain, some even trauma, but they're gathered together with the family of God to hear the word of God. Lord, I pray that you heal your people. Help us to adorn your doctrine, Lord. Wear it as a beautiful jewelry. The doctrine of Christ. Holiness and love and faithfulness and loyalty. Hatred for sin. Absolute, supreme, undivided loyalty and love for you, Lord who was crucified outside the camp, bore up my disgrace, our disgrace, Lord. Because of our sins, your blood washed us clean. Have us be loyal to you forever. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.